You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Where I found the most politicians getting in trouble is when they always start trying to deny something, uh, straighten their halo, pose for holy pictures, and then the press is off to the war, you know, because they know. Former Congresswoman Pat Schroeder. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. In 1972, Colorado was a very conservative state, what today we would call a red state. But in 72, voters there elected their first ever female representative to Congress, the young Democrat Pat Schroeder. She not only won that year, she won re-election in each of the next 11 elections, eventually serving 24 years in the House of Representatives, becoming one of its most influential members. She even considered entering the 1988 presidential race, but ultimately decided against it. And it was her tearful exit from that race that actually helped define her political career. I met her in 1998 when she wrote a memoir of her years in Congress. She called it 24 years of housework, and the place is still a mess. So here now, from 1998, Pat Schroeder. This has got to win my prize, if nobody else's, for the best title of a book I've seen in this entire decade of the 1990s. This is the most clever title. I hope it was yours. It was, and I was so glad to hear you say that, because you may have seen David Broder's column where he said, I love the book, but that title is just ridiculous. I can't believe her publisher put that title on it. I'm going, my publisher is innocent. (laughs) I did it. It is a superb title because it at once conveys, I mean, this is, of course, a serious book. Sure. The heavy issues of the 24 years of, of, you know, literally peace and war and economy and children and things, but you've also got some perspective. You're able to step back from it and and have a good laugh at it from time to time. Well, exactly. And you know, as I get to be more middle-aged, you decide life is about nothing but maintenance, you know? I mean, and it really is true. I mean, uh, every day you do the same old housework wherever your house is, and you start all over the next day, and it's just... Part of it is the rhythm of life. I see so many people saying, well, the place isn't perfect, so I'm not going to play. You know, thinking like, well, you're going to be pretty limited in where you go. That's right. Well, as you point out, being a citizen is not unlike being a housekeeper, as it were. That's true. And I think too many people play with democracy like it's the hokey pokey. They just want to stick their thumb in or their toe in. And then they say, oops, I'm out of here. If I can just be serious for a moment, this is not a role I'm usually cast in. But um, I I think we as Americans, as we end this century, have to think about the fact we've now convinced the whole world that the democratic process is the right way to go. I mean, almost everybody except China and Cuba and a few other places – And at the same time we convinced them, we've convinced ourselves the system stinks. Now, uh, this cynicism that we're drowning in is really pretty amazing. Think how funny it sounds to other countries when a country that fought two world wars, went through the civil rights, the environmental movement, gave women their rights, did the Marshall Plan, are now saying there's nothing we can do to fix our system. I mean, that's pretty pathetic. Well, yeah. 
certainly you didn't believe back in 72 that no, nobody could fix our system, that it wasn't worth fixing, or that nobody would speak up. You know, maybe you didn't exactly think that you were going to spend the next quarter century in Congress doing it, but I mean, clear, and, and I'm maybe making this sound like I'm making light of it, but I'm not in any, mm -hmm. by any means. But a lot of people, I think, share the same kinds of feeling as you. They say, Somebody ought to do something. We should do something. But how many of us really have the courage to do what you did, to stand up and say, all right, well, I'm ready to do something. But, you know, this is America. To me, the most exciting thing about America is the courage and the, and the ability to just do it. You know, people just do it. And part of why I wanted to write this book is I think there's a message in there for every American. If I could have gotten elected to Congress in 1972 with a two-year-old and a six-year-old from a state that was considered the first or second most conservative state in the union, depending on whose rating scale you were looking, um, and then went to deal with a Congress that certainly was not out waving palm branches saying, welcome, Pat Schroeder. I mean, they were treating me like I'd worn a bathing suit to church and this was the biggest disgrace that had ever happened uh, to this place and how do we get rid of her? And nevertheless, you know, we persevere. We did make some serious changes. And, and you know, it all kind of worked. I now hear people, rather than saying they're going to take on the system and charge the hill and do that, Say they're not going to participate, thank you. It's not perfect. And I'm not sure what's happened to us. But I have to confess that when you were describing late in the book your Princeton students, saying mm -hmm. that they'd be much happier just being behind the scenes, mm -hmm. writing press mm -hmm. releases, drafting speeches, mm -hmm. drafting legislation, rather than being, as Teddy Roosevelt said, being bloodied in the arena. Mm -hmm. I have to confess, you know, not that I have great peccadillos in my closet, but I'm not sure that I'd be ready to have that bright spotlight shown on my life to run for office. But I'm also, I think you and I would also agree that the American public's showing more and more maturity about that. And I honestly think that we realize we're not electing angels. I'd have never gotten elected if I had to run as an angel. Uh, it wouldn't pass the straight face test. But if you go out and, and you're willing to deal straight with people, where I found the most politicians getting in trouble is when they always start trying to deny something, uh, straighten their halo, pose for holy pictures, and then the press is off to the war, you know, because they know, they know it isn't that good. And I guess the other thing is to say, look, if you can come out of this with your marriage intact and you're not in jail and you haven't been indicted, and for heaven's sakes, I was a lightning rod like no one else, they would have loved to have done that to me. Oh, yeah. You can deal in this environment, and yet too many young people think you can't. Well, Bill Bennett recently said that he's putting all Republican candidates for president in 2000 on notice, adulterers need not apply. And this is, you know, good well, heavens, no. that's going to exclude, what, 90 to 98 percent of, <laughs> of America? Well, and who would de who defines adultery? I mean, remember the military's definition of adultery? If you're single, but you went with somebody who was married, mm -hmm. <laughs> and therefore you too are an that's adulterer. Right. It's a unique definition. Does Bill define it? I mean, really, that may be his definition, and in all seriousness, that's his right as an American. He can do that. But I have a feeling most Americans are, there's another book out called One Nation After All. Yes. And when they did that in-depth polling, they found that most people really don't buy into this stuff. <laughs> and that's good. That's true. Well, you've, you've had, it is certainly not that kind of vicious attack on you, but you've had 
some critics over the years, people who said naughty things and people who made up things. That's another thing that I have, think I would have trouble dealing with, and you've dealt with it uh, superbly well over the years, is I think I could handle the things that people dredged up about me that were true. I'd defend yeah. myself. But what do you do when people lie about you? Tell just flat-out distortions, untruths. They make things up, and people believe that stuff about you. I don't know. I mean, I really found that hard. But I also hope that most people who get to know you just kind of roll their eyes and realize it's made up. I mean, that's the only hope you've got. You're always going to have people out there making up stuff. Uh, because, look, this is about power, and power games are tough games, and there's a lot of people who want that power. So they'll do anything to try and get it. Uh, it's too bad, but that's how some people are. Nevertheless, what I I used to find is that my enemies got so crazed. They always went so far that absolutely nobody could believe the stuff that they were saying. I had one opponent one time who kept saying, and that Schroeder, she's just taking people apart, you know, organ by organ and chopping up their liver. And I mean, he's doing this on TV. I started getting flowers from the audience. People were mailing me flowers or wiring. They couldn't believe it. They were saying, nobody should have to sustain that type of opponent. So while you're internally just getting sick, they're also doing you a great favor by going crazy. I mean, look at Clinton. The best thing he's got going for him are his enemies. <laughs> they just can't stop, you know? And the enemies just don't learn, do they? <laughs> they just don't learn. They just go off to a 12-alarm fire, and and they can't tone it down. So when a congressman, a bear says, uh, you're not going to be a skinny Bella Abzug, are you? I mean, the joke's more on him than on you at that exactly, point. Exactly. Exactly. And when you figure that as miserable as he made my first two years, and he did make them miserable, um, number one, it came back on him, too, because he was the first guy to lose his chairmanship when the new Watergate babies came in. So, you know, it finally caught up with him. Now, had I just said, this is terrible, I went off this committee, I refuse to be treated this way. I could have probably gotten off the committee, transferred to another committee, and Abear would have been chairman until they carried him out horizontally. And that, so part of it is you got to stand and fight too. Got to get along to go along, or go along to get along. However that phrase goes. Well, I never did very well at that. <laughs> <laughs> but I figure you got to tell people what's happening. Well, where is? I, I've always been fascinated. Where is the line between compromise to get something done and compromise that? compromises I mean, that, that where where would your principle have been that if, if he had said as, as it was you had to share a chair absolutely suppose you'd had to stand for each meeting and maybe you were excluded from the from the, the smoke-filled rooms I mean, at what point would your principles have had to say i can't compromise that well we did a lot of things um it, that we didn't compromise on they would have uh, conferences with the Senate, and this would be where they ironed out the difference between the Senate and the House bill. And as a member of the committee, you would think you'd be able to go, mm -hmm. right? So I would show up, and they would say, no, 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 you're not allowed in here. We're going to throw you out. And I'd say, well, I'm going to stay here, and if you want to throw me out, um, you can call the sergeant-at-arms. Well, at that time, the sergeant-at-arms was about 91 years old. <laughs> I really wanted this visual. He's going to drag me out of here. You know? There wasn't any way he was going to do that. 
So you sometimes you just have to say to them, "Oh, knock it off, guys. I'm I'm here. I have a chair, and I'm not leaving." So you know, calling the sergeant at arms. That's where you go, and and they would just harumph, and you know there are no standards anymore, and this is awful. It's really kind of funny to see people get that exercise every now and then. After this short break, Pat Schroeder takes on the crying incident. Now back to my 1998 conversation with Pat Schroeder. I, I have to confess, when I first got the book in the mail, I, I maybe I shouldn't make this confession. Maybe this makes me look too bad, but I opened up to see. Well, I opened up Dan Quayle's book to see what he had to say about potatoes. So I opened up yours to head to see what you had to say about the crying game. Oh, absolutely! I just because I, 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 I wanted your, I wanted to hear. I, I read some of your comments at the time and since then, but I wanted to see now that you've had some some perspective. What about it? Almost a dozen years of perspective now on this. And you can look back and say, this is what it all ended up meaning. I could not figure out how to run and not be separated from those I serve. There must be a way, but I haven't figured it out yet. Summer's contacts were warm and wonderful. The spontaneity was terrific. And I could not bear to turn every human contact into a photo opportunity. Nor could I bear to be separated by people who were well-meaning, but trying to protect me. I would shrivel. Have we in the meantime, just to this day, have we made too much of all this? The presidential weepstakes, <laughs> I think I called it. Well, I certainly thought so. Um, I don't know about men. I guess maybe they're able to control emotions more. But I think almost every woman has been in a circumstance where they think, oh, please, Lord, not now. Well, you certainly feel that way when you've got a gazillion million cameras facing at you, and sometimes some tears come down your cheeks. Uh, but I must say, I thought the very interesting thing is if you compare it with Muskie, when Muskie shed a few tears, uh, there were no male journalists saying, this is it, this ends it for men, no man can ever run for president again, Muskie's let us all down as a group of men. And yet... When I did that, the most amazing thing to me was the reaction of women journalists who were doing this whole thing about that's it, women can never run again, our whole generation has been upset, this is the... And, and I, it really conveyed to me how very insecure women still were with watching people who looked like them moving onto the playing field and how very uptight they were about what they were, what they did, how they looked. Well, but, you know, I, I have to be honest. I'm not saying this just because you're sitting here now. I would say mm -hmm. this no matter who was sitting here. I didn't think less of you that day as as I didn't think any less of Greg mm -hmm. Luzinski the day mm -hmm. he retired from the Philadelphia Phillies and cried. The, exactly. sa the same day that I heard Ernest Borgnine on the radio interview, the day oh, after yeah. his pal Lee Marvin had died, and he was bawling like a baby. I know. Ah. And Sununu cried. I mean, I have a crying file that would fill this room. <laughs> I mean, the one thing I did is I guess I made it safe for everybody else to cry anyway. But it, almost every presidential candidate or president has cried since, and it's been almost showing that you have feelings. I remember some of the debates I had at that time where people would say to me, 
we don't want anybody's finger on the nuclear button that cries. And my response was, I don't want anybody's finger on the nuclear button that doesn't cry. We both have the right as Americans to debate that, but for crying out loud, grow up. But even Margaret Thatcher cried and all sorts of things, and the Brits didn't go nuts. So I don't know. I think maybe America's moved beyond that, but it was a very interesting time. I'm going to ask you a, a very old question. I'm going to try to put a fresh spin on it by asking it. I'll just, I'll just, I, there's no way to put a fresh spin on it. When are we going to have a female in the White House? Ah, I keep saying it's the ultimate treehouse with that little sign posted, no girls allowed, you know. I want to tear the sign down. I'm ready. Uh, I honestly think, seriously, we're very apt to see women on both tickets in the year 2000, probably as vice presidents. But that means we're getting closer. And I think that with the Cold War gone, we're not as hung up on these images of President of the United States, Commander-in-Chief, Leader of Free World. Finger on button. Finger on button. <laughs> Remember when we had Dukakis driving a tank and we had, you know, Bush doing the cigarette boat and you have to show that you're not a court low on testosterone, by God, you know. And for women, it's a little hard to figure out what you're going to do <laughs> to play in that game. But I think we we now have people looking at candidates more on what are they going to do for the quality of my life, what what quality of life issues, what type of things are happening. So I think that's the big difference. I just wish I could explain to the viewers how wonderful you are. I'm watching you. When you did the spin thing, you were literally spinning in this room. I, I wish they could have a visual of what fun this interview is. I really get into this sometimes. Well, I know. I talk with my hands, too, and I love it when somebody else gets into all oh, yeah, of this. My, my daughter noticed that one day. She said, you know, you talk with your hands. I'm not even Italian. You know, I'm, I'm Norwegian. You know, I just, I don't know what the, there's, there's something that's, that's great. I'm, put my hands in my pockets, I guess. I love the, it. What is your proudest accomplishment of your years in Congress? Well, I say to people, I mean this seriously, that I got out with my family intact, that I got out not being indicted, not being in jail, with my reputation intact, having passed a lot of legislation that I think really changed a lot of people's lives. And I think those are wonderful things to be able to look at. And I saw a lot of people come and go that didn't. Did, did you get out with your morale intact? I mean, how did you how did you keep from being cynical after 24 years? I just think cynicism is the most corroding thing that you can have happen. Remember where the word cynic came from? It came from a Greek word meaning yapping dogs. And that's how Athens fell. People just got cynical about everything. Democracy's not new. It goes all the way back to ancient Greece. And they lost it. And I'm telling you, we can lose it exactly the same way they did. So whenever you start to get cynical, remember what that word came from. And if you just want to sit around in life and be a yapping dog, fine. But don't complain because you're not adding a thing to the debate. <laughs> we got a lot of people not adding much, right? The message is, is if I can do this, you can do this. And... If we don't do this, my question is, what does our country look like in the next century? It's real easy to say that the kind of system we have stinks. Remember Winston Churchill who used to say, <laughs> democracy is the end. He'd throw everything you could, but he'd say, but I can't think of anything better, really. So, so all I say is if you really hate it, think of something better and otherwise, 
shut up and help us make it work, because it's really a concern. Or, or was it him or some other pundit that said democracy is the worst form of government except for all the rest? That's exactly right. <laughs> I think that was Winston Churchill who put it in that very eloquent manner. So I think we have to think about that. Yeah, that's true. And it's been an exciting century to be a woman. I mean, had I been born probably in any other century or any other country, I'd be in jail or dead. <laughs> so I'm very happy to be here. Well, you know, the thought also occurred to me, maybe maybe a little irreverently, that you're far, far too young to be writing a memoir, an autobiography, or anything like that. I mean, you're just you're just embarking on like the the, the the second third of your life. Hey, you you sound like a politician. I love this. Well, <laughs> actually, I was thrilled because you know there is a lot of ageism left in America. And when I turned 55, I literally said, I never thought I'd be in politics to begin with. My goodness, I've now been here almost a quarter of a century. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to be a lifer if I don't get out soon, because I'll be too old and no one will hire me. No problem. Send Nora Dunn No one will notice the difference. No one will ever know. I'll let her play a role and I'll go off and do something else. But uh, I must say, I'm thrilled working with the publishers on, you know, reading out loud to kids, reading literacy, education, books. I feel like I fell in a candy store. So ageism didn't get me. And you're right. I'm not dead. I'm still going. (laughs) Pat Schroeder died in March. She was 82. And you can get your copy of 24 Years of Housework and the Place is Still a Mess by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure and listen to my 1998 interview with the woman who was the 1984 vice presidential nominee on the Democratic ticket, Geraldine Ferraro. When I looked at, it was not only all these people screaming and there was such joy, but I was also looking at tears rolling down people's faces, including some of the women reporters. As well as my 1992 conversation with the woman who was elected Chicago mayor, Jane Byrne. Wherever I would go. They'd say, go get him, or the the cars would honk. And finally, the only thing that was there for me to go for was the office of mayor. And I did. And I won. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, my conversation with a man who is not only a top Olympic athlete and a hero, but who also played a key role in the terrible events of the first week of June 1968 in Los Angeles at the Ambassador Hotel. My 1998 conversation with Olympian Rafer Johnson. Here my friend was, finally on the doorsteps of becoming the President of the United States of America. And then just a few minutes later to be in that uh, kitchen area when I heard the pops, which I thought were balloons popping. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.